Coming to you direct from the heart of New York City, all the way to wherever you are, you're listening to the VIP Jazzwall Report. Most of us listening today do have an element of faith through some form of religion, but even those who don't believe usually believe in something. But my question to you is that how strong is your belief? Is it strong enough to cause you to rise to the occasion when that belief is being violated by others? The title of today's show is Are Christians the Weakest Defenders of Their Faith? Don't be offended by the title, but be offended by what's not being done. Because in our world today, we have the freedom and the means to voice our opinion, whether it's through the media, through our ability to vote, through technology. Because recently, the owner of the Clippers basketball team expressed a racist sentiment. And there was an uproar from all of society, which resulted in him being banned from the NBA for life. Now this reflects the power that we as individuals and as a society have on what we will and will not tolerate. So if we can't tolerate racism in today's world, then how on earth are we tolerating religious persecution? Because the right to pray is probably the most harmless human right of all, yet it still causes the most harm in today's world. And today's show is going to bring to light not just the fact that Christians are being persecuted around the world, but the more important fact that we are letting it happen. This show is going to be about the truth that exists in 2014 AD. It's an honor to have on the show two guests who are fighters for this basic human right. Our first guest is Sam Rohrer, who is a former state legislator and now the president of the American Pastors Network. Welcome to the show, Sam. Uh, Vip, great to be with you on this most important program today. Thank you, sir. And our second guest is Reverend Majid Al-Shafi, who has personally been a victim of torture and persecution for converting from Islam to Christianity. He's now the leader and founder of One Free World International, an organization that fights for human rights around the world. Welcome to the show, Majid. My pleasure to be with you. Gentlemen, We go to war for oil, we go to war for weapons of mass destruction, we fight for women's liberation, we fight for gay rights, we even fight for basketball. So why don't we fight for Christians who are persecuted, uh, and and why is it not a big deal? Sam? Well, Vep, I think, first of all, I would agree with you that, in fact, there is very little outcry. Uh, And as you've appropriately said, why in the world would the American people and Congress be willing to go to war for which we have, but we will not lift a finger to lift to to help those who are losing their lives for the simple practice of wanting to practice their faith? Mm. Most cases, it's Christian faith that's being most persecuted. I would say an answer to that question, though, is that uh, as Americans, we have sat and been the beneficiaries of a tremendous amount of security and peace for a long time, and we have a generation of people who do not either know history nor even know their Bible well to understand that peace and security is not the default position in life. It really is the most unusual position in life, and we have been taken, we've taken the view that to be Christian means to just simply love and turn the other cheek and, 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 uh, and, not, and not to stand up for what we believe as if that is something wrong with that. I don't believe, in fact, there is, but we've bought into that line and therefore almost, to some extent, invited difficulty. Well, an attack on religion is, the way I see it, an attack on us, and it's also an attack on our very evolution from animal to human being. Um, Majid, what's your point? I think today in our world, 
our world divided into two zones, Vib, a mm. conflict zone and a comfort zone. The more that you are sitting down in the comfort zone, where you are comfortable, uh, you don't care really about what's happening outside the box. While there is another Christians and other minorities besides Christians facing persecution daily. Christians today is the most persecuted group around the world. Today, there is one persecuted Christian every three minutes worldwide. Last year, over 165,000 Christians was killed for their faith and their belief. Between 200 to 300 million persecuted Christians worldwide, worse than any Holocaust than anybody did ever know in the history of mankind. But we cannot sit down here blaming only our enemy. The truth and the reality that in the absence of light, darkness prevail. And what's happening that even among the Christian churches, that we don't care. If this is a message of prosperity, if this is a message of healing, if this is a message of salvation, I can ensure you that the Christian church, especially in North America, I'm, a, I'm, I'm Canadian, I live in Canada, so I, can, I cannot speak on behalf of the United States or what's happening in the city. I can tell you what's happening in Canada, and I will assume it's very similar. That here, we, 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 we don't have the sense of what's happening outside our, our borders and what's happening to the Christians' minority around, uh, around the world. What's happening as well that we got confused between kindness uh, and weakness. Uh, the message that we always be receiving here, if somebody slab you and one cheek, give him the other. Right. While this is very true, while the, 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 the message of, of forgiveness is one of the foundation of Christianity, love your enemy, bless who will curse you, and the Lord himself proved on the cross when he said, forgive them, Father, for they didn't know what they're doing. Uh, he also said faith without action. Is that that faith? Well, our, our, yeah, listeners, our listeners will understand better by, by example, and I did some research, but you guys have stories. So let me give some stats. Um, in Pakistan, uh, recently, a Muslim's gang raped a seven-year-old Christian girl and kidnapped her father to, to stop him reporting them. Uh, again, in Pakistan, 1,000 Christian and Hindu girls get forced to convert to Islam uh, every year. Uh, so, Sam, I mean, what, what stories have you heard uh, through your pastor network that reflect the persecution? Well, you know, Vip, I think persecution takes a different flavor depending upon how far along the process. If I could be so bold as to say that there tends to be uh, steps to persecution, uh, where you first start with perhaps, I'd say, defamation, where the society says it's those guys over there, you don't need to listen to them, then you marginalize them and you don't take them seriously. Then you discriminate against them and you begin to treat them differently and say, we all ought to treat them. And then finally you get to persecution. Then if not stopped, you end up going to genocide itself where people are killed. We are in, and across the world, I believe we are in portions of, in each society, along that various path. Well, I have heard from pastors just yesterday. Uh, in Ukraine, as an example, the world is looking at Ukraine. It's not so much a Muslim issue there of discrimination, but, uh, but you do have Russia uh, in, in taking over Crimea. And they are there. And I have uh, word talking directly to, to folks there right now where they are uh, calling in pastors and demanding them to turn over their membership lists. Uh, they are raping young people, that uh, young folks that are somewhat involved because they're all part of Ukrainian, but 
some because, in fact, they are part of the church and they're they're supporting freedom. They don't want Russian domination. Um, they're taking property. They're taking they're taking church bank accounts. Uh, many of these are along the step of discrimination. They're not losing life there yet, but they're on that on that path, and they are threatened with life. Just yesterday, the one fellow I talked with. Uh, was gathering up his children and his wife, and they were trying to flee the country to get out of Crimea because, in fact, they were identified to be killed. So there are various steps, and, and some of what the other you, you explained in Pakistan and in Egypt. There, I mean, there are the examples of Coptic Christians uh, that have that, that have lost their their lives or the lives of their children uh, happen on a repeated basis. That's further down the line, but. If we do not stop at the earlier stages, we will end up with people, in fact, losing their life, which we're finding all across the country. And that, in fact, is why we're talking about this program, why people have got to stand up and say these things, which we witness around the world and history makes so clear, will come to America. It will come here if America does not stand up and the Christians in America and the pastors in America do not stand up and make a claim for what ought to be and to protect and defend the lives of those who are losing their life simply because they want to practice their faith. Well, even though some might not be losing their lives just yet, but they're still in a living hell. Well, that is correct. That's are on this pathway, so they so they are being intimidated. They are being frustrated by the legal system. If in fact there is a legal system that even recognizes them, we're told in Crimea that really the Protestant churches in Crimea, as an example, have lost their status. They have no recognition under law. So when they go for requests for whatever, they don't recognize them. They are in that category of being marginalized and discriminated against, with the intent that they're just forced out of the system. And that is happening even in this country. What is so threatening about Christianity that makes them do this, Sam? Well, I think the threat is that, I think at the end of the day, it really is this. A a true Christian recognizes that there is one highest authority, and that is God, and that is in the person of Jesus Christ. Um, For those who are totalitarian regimes or totalitarian religions, uh, communism is a totalitarian regime uh, who worships government in an atheistic view of life. Well, a Christian could be, depending, a threat to them because they will not bow on their knees and, 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 uh, and, uh, and worship the state. Uh, in, in a Muslim uh, aspect, where it's both religion and law together, uh, it, it, there it's, a, it's, it's, even, it's even a greater uh, perspective in that uh, that they both know that uh, they they are to dominate the world in that religion and that Christians are um, uh, anathema to that so they they work to eliminate but are also Christians because they do not uh, worship um, uh, 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 an, an Islam God they worship Jesus Christ they and they and, and, and they read the Bible and they follow that law that is incongruent and mutually exclusive to Sharia. So the two cannot exist. And as far as the Muslims are concerned, they have to be eliminated. So that's, it's for what, for what purpose? Because they want to worship and pray mm-hmm. uh, to a different God. I mean, this is the reason that we should destroy their lives and, uh, and rape children and, uh, and, and, and haul off into bondage. I mean, this is what we're talking about. And under no circumstance should any person regardless of faith, right. say that is acceptable. Well, let me go to Majid now. Majid, I mean, uh, can you give us examples where this persecution is being 
Well, let's let's talk about uh, clear examples in a sense of even names and ages and yes. where and so on. Let, let, let's make it personal and paint the the picture to the people as they are listening to us. Like for example, we got involved uh, in a two years uh, old little girl from Pakistan by the name Miha Munir, two years and a half old, and uh, she was raped. Severely, just because her father is a is a Christian father that refused to convert from Christianity to Islam, so as a punishment, uh, they kidnapped the little girl uh, baby and they raped her severely. And our organization was able to interfere and to, was able to smuggle her outside of Pakistan here to Canada. Uh, another case is from uh, example in Afghanistan, where is um, uh, Najiba and Shoaib Asadullah. Where also a couple converted from Islam to Christianity was uh, tortured severely by the Afghani authority. This is the authority that we send. This is the Afghani government that we send our Canadians and American soldiers to die for them, basically in Afghanistan. They was tortured. They was raped in the Afghani prison by the Afghani authority, and once again was able to interfere to get them outside uh, of the country here. And many more examples. But the problem here is, it's not just a matter, like even uh, I want to echo what Sam said, for example, about uh, Ukraine. Like now in eastern Ukraine, uh, um, they, they ask from the Jewish community there to register. And we know when the last time this has happened, what's ha- like in the history, when they ask the Jewish community to register, when, when was that and what's happened after that? Right. This is a catastrophic move uh, in, in, in Egypt where uh, the, the, the Christians get kidnapped and tortured and put in prison. In Pakistan where their church has been destroyed. In Syria where there's a, a, a genocide right now against the Christians in Syria. And yet uh, nobody's talking about it. Nobody's doing anything about it. And one of the major issues that I have, we cannot only speak about our own community. We, I believe that we have to speak against any injustice happening in the world, against any community, any other community as well. And the, the, the day that we stop fighting for each other, the day that we lose our humanity. So I'm Egyptian. I will stand against anti-Semitism. Of course I will. Because that's what my Lord told me. That's what my, my, Jesus Christ and his teaching of compassion teach me in my heart. But the problem, first of all, we don't defend each other. We don't speak. We don't, we, we don't stand for, for each other. That's number one. Number two, our governments, we are expecting too much from our governments. Zeb, I will share with you a story. Just a few months ago, I was called by the American Congress to testify about, uh, about um, uh, Syria, about giving weapons to Syria. Mm-hmm. And I stood in front of the American Congress, and I told them, listen, uh, we supported bin Laden before during the Mujahideen War uh, turn against us. We supported uh, uh, the, uh, Saddam Hussein during the Iranian War turn against us. We supported the rebels in Libya, killed our American ambassador three months later. And now you are talking to me about supporting the rebels in Syria. What's the definition of insanity? Is repeating the same action, expecting different outcomes. There is no another explanation to it. But we are putting too much effort 
an emphasis on our government. Our government can do this. Our government can do that. What about us first? We have to do something. Comes next election, we have to speak up. The churches have to have a stronger power. We have to say enough is enough. So it's up to the people. And when it comes to the government, we have to choose the leader that actually will listen to us. Mm -hmm. So what the government can do, the government can eliminate and connect their aid and their, their international trade to the improvement of human rights in these countries. It's as simple as that. I want to get to the people later. I just I want to stick to uh, the government and then move down. Um, Sam, in the yeah. political world, and you've got political experience, um, Christian persecution, religious persecution, um, is is that a subject that seems to be taboo and it seems to be put in the into the shroud of human rights, whereas it should be at the forefront and and a standalone issue. Because that's what it seems to come across as. It seems to be a taboo subject. Well, I, I think to a large extent it has, and I would go to the reason for that. I believe, this is my sense, I believe that those in government, in, and, and I'll just take American government, those who have come from a Judeo-Christian background, those who have come up understanding the law and mm-hmm. their effect of a limited government and, and that which we have come to enjoy in this country, those who are in positions have lost, have lost and, and or forgotten or perhaps never knew the biblical role for the purpose of government. And, one, and it's very simple. You praise those who do well, and you punish those who do evil. There is a protection. There is a, there is a ministry of justice that, that is very focused and what ought to be the practice of every legitimate government. That justice includes the protection of life and, and the punishment against those who take life in murder or stealing of property, those kinds of things that are basic Ten Commandments, but they're part of our Constitution in the United States. That's where it comes from. When those in government forget that they are there for those primary purposes, not to centralize power, not to control or take from the from those who have to give to those who have not. Not all these things which government has tended to move into that direction, but when they fail in that basic understanding of its primary role of enacting justice, then you can justify walking away from those circumstances where people's lives are being taken and people's human rights, God-given rights, are being are being stolen or compromised, and you can console yourself, improperly so, but can console yourself with saying that you're doing a pretty good job. The fact of the matter is you're doing a terrible job because you're not doing the primary job. That simply is how, and that happens over time when you lose the concept of how you got to where you came from and lose what freedom is all about and lose the concept that there are certain rights like life that come from God himself and they pertain to all people regardless of what they happen to believe or not believe. These are things that are universal from the beginning of time. But I don't think the politicians get that. 
They don't. No, that's the problem. They do not get it. It's become a job. Politics becomes a job if you let it to come, rather than a rather than a ministry of justice, uh, as many countries will say, but as a as a function of actually using the sword of government, which which uh, the Book of Romans talks about, to carry the sword to enact justice. Justice when it becomes dependent upon those who can give to me or those special interests that can reward me and government. When that happens, you justice becomes injustice, and 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 the, and the sword of government actually then becomes a tool to be used against people to deprive them of their rights, rather than to protect the rights of people as God gave to them. That understanding is a simple understanding of what makes the difference between a tyrannical dictatorial government or a government that is in fact one that modeled after what God has established, which is what always leads to peace and prosperity when that's put in place. It's, it's not really complicated. And Majid, what's been your experience dealing with politicians? I think dealing with politicians, the uh, listen, human right is a moral dilemma. When we are going and we are shaking the hands of China, knowing the violation that's taking place in China against the minorities, Falun Gong, Uyghurs, Christians, uh, Tibetans, and yet we don't even see the violation of human rights, or we choose not to see it, we choose to ignore it. It's our moral dilemma. When I'm dealing with governments, I can ensure you that when it comes to their interest, is way more priority to them than the, the, the human rights record. The problem that this government doesn't understand that one day will turn against them. And as I said, and I explained in the, in the last example, that when we turn blind eye on evil, evil will come after us. It's as simple as that. Mm. So what's happening that right now we can see our government. I will not judge others. I will judge uh, my government, I will judge the Canadian government. Uh, like, we have the Freedom of Religion Office, for example. I, uh, I know that also the, they have the same in, in the United States. Mm-hmm. Tell me, what, what's the Office of Freedom of Religion do? I, I'm really asking. I'm not just, you know, trying to be sarcastic or something like that. Besides writing a report every year, Mm-hmm. heavy report that you can just exercise with this heavy report in your arm and you can get strong biceps. What else the Office of Freedom of Religion do? It have no teeth, have no power. Right now, tell the whole world, the Pentagon or the CIA will investigate the freedom of religion issues, will interfere personally if they found something on the ground that is not right. Tell them that this is, will affect your international t- aid or international trade or aid. See how is the reaction. See how it will help quicker. But human right now, especially the freedom of religion issues, is not the priorities of our government, with my all due respect. Yeah, it seems to be a nice to know, but not a need to know. And okay, okay let's, gentlemen, let's stop blaming the government for a moment. Uh, let's look inwards, because governments will act if its own people act. Uh, you know, look at the recent NBA basketball controversy. Uh, the people's sentiments, the Internet went viral, sponsors stopped advertising. The NBA moved very quickly. Um, maybe the moral of the story is that, you know, we the people have the power to stop this, yet we don't. Um, why, Sam, why are the people not using their power to stop this? I think it's two things, uh, perhaps VIP. One, uh, it's not that uh, people are not aware of the influence of society. Mm-hmm. 
as much as that uh, they have been convinced wrongly that one voice doesn't make a difference. But one voice may not, but one voice connected to, to many others do make a difference, does make a difference. And that is the one one element that people sometimes begin to think with a with a media that meant tends again back to this whole defamation and marginalization we as a culture have tended to marginalize those who hold to absolute truth those who say there is some things are always right and there are some things that are always wrong um, and the, if you hold to that position that something's always right, well, you've got to be way out there in left field. You're, you're an old fuddy-duddy. That mentality has helped to push many people back into the corner and say, you know what, maybe I am the only one who thinks like this. The fact of the matter is they're not the only one who thinks like that, number one. And number two, the, that nothing prevents them from opening their mouth and standing up for what is right. It it comes also to this, not just a recognition that collective voice speaks with great influence mm. and that our government, in fact, does respond. We are a representative republic yet in this nation and in Canada. Votes do make a difference. We, 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 we forget that we not only have the opportunity to influence, but we must not forget that truth, the basis upon which our laws are built, that freedom is built, the concept that life came from God, that God has given in unalienable rights to all people, which are embodied within our Constitution, which has made us here in this country a shining city in the hill, that these concepts, these ideological concepts of truth, they do prevail if, in fact, they are put forward, they will win in public debate and discourse, but they cannot be held silent. They must be put forward, and that is our responsibility as defenders of truth, the beneficiaries of those who have gone before us, our grandparents and our great-grandparents who fought in order that we could be standing. We have a responsibility now to defend freedom, and freedom is defended with truth, and truth is found in God's Word, and that is within the grasp of those who call themselves Christians, who knew, who know God, Christ as their Savior, and those ought to be the motivating factors to say that this when applied in any society throughout the history of this world, right. have in fact made a difference. We've been a beneficiary. If we don't open our mouth, then we will in fact lose all that we've had, and so will those around the world. So that, I think, is just a simple thing. Mm -hmm. Understand that truth prevails. You're not a minority. You're not the only one. And if, if you are... Um, the Christians are definitely not a minority. There are 80% of them in the whole population in the U.S., 30% across the world. Um, taking it to street level, do you think that Christians are scared of upholding their religion on the world stage because it might be considered to be politically incorrect or they might be branded as fundamentalists. Uh, Majid, what do you think? I, I don't think that the Christians is scared to, to uphold the religion. Hmm. And I don't think it's a matter of being politically You know why I say I think not. they're scared? Because in this country, I find it very difficult to say Merry Christmas. And I've said that in previous shows, but it's very significant. Uh, I have to say happy holidays. The rest yeah. of the world, and I've traveled and lived across the world, uh, it is Merry Christmas, just as much as it's uh, happy Ramadan and, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, here I find it hard to get uh, a, a Christmas card. I always get happy holiday cards. Yes. When did a try festive to, greeting become a personal insult? Try try to travel to Canada. Mm. Uh, good luck with that. Anyway, so in Canada it will be much worse. That <laughs> the 
I need to tell you something. I don't believe that the Christians is afraid to put the religion up high. Mm. And I don't think is is the fault of, per se, the person in the street or the Christian in the street. I will say that the leadership of the church itself lacks education about this matter when it comes to the persecution of the minorities and the persecution of the Christians. That our world today is not uh, a dark dark place because the evil is because the people who remain silent about it. That's how I see it. Mm-hmm. So, right now, when when our leadership do not want to discuss the matter of persecution per se, by the way, the Lord gave us many promises, but one of them was persecution. But the church does not want to preach about it for one simple reason. They don't want to make the people feel uncomfortable in the church because they don't want the people to leave the church. Hmm. So what's happened, we're only discussing subjects and matters that away from persecution. What they don't know, persecution will hit the United States if it's not already there. Persecution will hit Canada if it's not already there. That's right. And what's the problem here is that we become... Uh, we, we, we like to speak about forgiveness. We like to speak about giving the other cheek. This is all important matters. But at the same time, the Bible said faith without action is a, is a dead faith. At the same time, I don't mind to forgive. Of course I have to forgive. That's one of my commands from the Lord Christ. But at the same time, I don't want to forgive from the point of weakness. I want to forgive from the point of grace. It's a big difference. So we have to stand up. But the person in the street... They don't even know what's happening outside. They are not educated by the leadership of the church. And that's why, we're, and of course, the government will not uh, ignite or encourage people to know more about the persecution of the Christians, because the government right now, especially right now, they will have a hand in it, uh, in creating a secular society, a society completely and fully empty of any values or morals. And that's exactly what we're seeing. And well, that's where I think the problem is. Well, Sam, as, as a leader of the American Pastor Network, what's your point of view on, on what Majid has said? I think, he, I think Majid was very, very precise, and I will go further and pick up on what he said. Mm. He, he alluded strongly to the fact that our leadership, pastors mm. in the pulpit, those who have the responsibility to proclaim biblical truth to the congregations, that they have tended to and they tend to avoid controversy, meaning, there, and this is what we have found across this country, there is a tremendous, tremendous disconnect between preaching what we would say would be the whole counsel of God, all the principles contained in the Word of God that applies to all aspects in every area of life, right. choosing not to preach on those things that they may hear, in fact, on the radio the day before. So they're scared or, of the truth. That, that's correct. They selectively apply and teach the truth, the truth, the part of it that makes you feel good mm-hmm. and makes you glad and makes you happy, but not the part that says that we are, in fact, to, to be salt and light and to be in a dark world, meaning lifting up the truth and what it means to be a Christian, what a family should look like with a husband and wife and a, a man who loves his wife and his children and demonstrates that and the concepts of private property, which are in the Scripture, and, 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 and justice and all, all of those things. When when we are not 
taught that being a Christian is a 24-hour-a-day job uh, in lifestyle, not just on Sunday mornings at church, but when we go out into the workplace and when we go out into government, if that's where we're serving, or we go, that we are, in fact, to look different, live different, vote differently, act. When that, when that happens, then salt actually comes into contact with evil, and salt burns. And that's where, when Christ talked about you shall suffer persecution, it was not you will suffer persecution if you do nothing. It was you will suffer persecution if, in fact, you are salt, actually speaking truth into darkness, into evil. That avoidance has caused a weak church in America. So their preachings are actually making us weaker rather than stronger. I, that, I would I would say that is the result because they, none say, of none of, none of what they're saying actually is a call to action. It's just a call to rest. Well, I, I would say that's correct, Vip, and, he, and even and even there, I'm saying there's the, it, it, that is the, the, even more than that is that when a pastor stands in the pulpit mm-hmm. and before God and says, "I am going to preach the Word of God to you this morning," but throughout his life and throughout his time in the pulpit. He determines not to talk about some things that the Bible talks about. And then you know what? They use the magic of the English language because the words in the English language are so beautiful uh, that you can actually uh, cover everything because diplomacy was actually invented through the English language. And what I see, um, that by considering ourselves as tolerant people, which Christians are known to do, uh, we're not doing any justice to ourselves. And then we're actually becoming perceived and I use the word perceived very prominently, that we are being perceived as weak by our enemies, because the enemies know that we'll do nothing about it. I, 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 think, <clears throat> I think you're totally, totally correct. When, when biblical Christianity is in fact lived out as God intends through His Scripture, meaning that when those who are in government do in their position in government what God expects, lifting up and supporting those who do well and punishing those who do evil and enacting biblical justice. And when the father in the home does what a father is to do with his, with his wife and his children and loving relationship and bringing teaching and raising them properly, and the church does what they do according to the biblical standard, you have, you have what we have experienced for the last many, many years in this nation and other nations that do it as well, but you will have peace. You'll have prosperity. And you will have, uh, actually, the Bible says that when a nation does what God tells them to do in obedience to them, he makes them not only to prosper, but he makes even their enemies to be at peace with them. And when, and when there is a failure to acknowledge that there is a higher law, that there's God's law, that he has established these, these entities of home and church and government, and we think we did it on our own and do our own thing, when that happens, then lo and behold, the distinctiveness is gone. Well, Majid, I want to ask you, um, does that in turn, from what Sam has said and what I've asked, does that in turn make us the weakest defenders of our faith? Because according to the Quran, it's a religious obligation for Muslims to be united. And regardless of how uh, we feel, that's one thing you do have to admire about their faith. I will. Uh, I will not even. Uh, um, I don't think that the Muslims per se is united. With my respect, I. I think that they are divided between the Sunnis and the Shias and the Baha'is and the Ahmadis and the Ismailis and so on. And there is That's over there. That. But you know what? Over yes. here, when 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 terrorism happens, I don't see them standing on the streets in sol- solidarity. I don't see Absolutely. them protesting. I agree with you. So I that's where I'm coming from. 
I agree with you. I agree with you. I understand what you're saying. Now, I don't think that we are the weakest defenders. I think we are the ones who didn't get the the, the message yet, mm-hmm. especially here in North America. Now, take a look at the Christians, for example, in the Middle East or Africa or China. Look at these people, how they are fighting for their belief because they are on the front line. Look at how they, when they choose between uh, believing in Christ or mm. get shot in the back of the head, they would choose get shot in the back of the head. When I was in the Egyptian prison, and I was tortured in the Egyptian prison, and they put salt and lemon in my open wounds, they gave me this choice. They told me, just convert back to Islam and everything will be fine. And I told them, you can kiss my neck. I said just neck because we are in the national radio. I was <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but the truth and the reality it's very hard to judge a whole belief or people of faith by just what you see in North America or what you see in Europe, for example. But the truth is that there is a group of people. Once again, we are back again to the comfort zone or a conflict, conflict zone. zone. What we really need right now in North America, believe it or not, we need persecution to wake us up. Well, you're talking, about tr- you're, you're talking about truth and reality. So is the truth of persecution too strong mm-hmm. to face and we rather be passive in our faith to God than be active about it? Uh, you know, are we scared of using a sword to protect our brothers and sisters because that may be considered to be against religion, Sam? Hmm. Well, um, <laughs> I'm talking about rising to the challenge. I, you know what? I, I, think what uh, I think what Majid said is that, you know, throughout history— those who fall, as you said, into the comfort zone, until they actually lose what they hold dear, mm-hmm. you assume that it will last forever. In America, we have tended to respond to when things have hit our pocketbook, our wallet. We have tended to, over the generation, responded more to economic pain than we have then to the pain of the to the spirit and the loss of life as we're talking about with persecution because we haven't been yet tested quite sufficiently and i do believe and i do not long for persecution uh not at all and i think my hope and my prayer is that this discussion here today can help awaken many who can look around the world and say look what is happening you cannot deny what's happening in pakistan mm-hmm. you cannot deny what's happening in iraq or syria or now in crimea you cannot happen the things we're already seeing happen in this country it will not improve unless truth takes a center stage and those who know the truth christians stand up and communicate that we will not sit any longer. Now, is there anything wrong with doing that? No, there's everything right with doing that. Throughout the history of the world, some of the greatest leaders, in fact, have been Christian leaders, those who know who God is and have a firm grip and command on, on moral truth, and because we know, we know that the result will be, if we do what God says, we can have God's blessing. George Washington in our nation, I mean, our, our first president, I mean, he was very, very clear about that. I mean, when here's, here's we something, Sam. that God will bless good action, then, then we will stand and take right ground. Here's something I wanted to mention. Um, if Muslims were persecuted in America, they'd be held to pay. Yeah? Do you, do you agree? That's correct. That's do you, correct. Yeah. Sam, do you agree? If, if, if what? If Christians? No, if no. Muslims were persecuted in America. Oh, without a doubt. If, if, without a doubt, right? Are we with, clear on without that? Without a doubt. Okay. Without a doubt. Now, um, 
Christians in Pakistan are persecuted. And there's enough evidence, and we know that. We've got the stats, and, and uh, Majid's been there and all that. Okay, um, why is the government giving one point, U.S. government giving $1.5 billion to Pakistan? That's where the hypocrisy comes in. But, Vib, sorry, sorry for interrupting. Yeah. It's not the American government fault for giving Pakistan this amount of money. Mm-hmm. It's the fault of the American people who voted for a president, with my all due respect, that will do that. I'm sorry. Uh, maybe, maybe I'm just too much. Forgive me. I'm, I'm a little bit uh, emotional or passionate, whatever you want to call me. Or maybe crazy. Call me crazy. That's an easy one. But when, when the American president make a decision to give an aid to a government mm. that knows not only that they are persecuted, the Christian minorities and the Ahmadiyya's minorities and many other minorities, not only that, but also cooperating with Taliban, hiding Osama bin Laden for 10 years, and yet the American president decided to continue to giving them this aid. Well, that's why because, I asked Sam. I mean, Sam's the one with yeah. the political background. So Sam, yes, tell us, w- where do you see the logic, the motive, the purpose in that. I I hate to say it in this fashion, but when we put in office those who are making these policy decisions who themselves have evidenced throughout their life and by their very words Mm -hmm. a disdain for our U.S. Constitution, which is our governing document of law that enshrouds the concept of our rights being given from God, our Declaration of Independence. This is our law here. When we depart from those basic truths and we embrace a different set of values, which has been clear, then these are the things that come as a result. Actions and choices and votes don't come out of a vacuum. They come out of a set ideology and a set of values that direct who and what that person is. And yes, in fact, this, this nation, by a majority, elected someone to office, and many others in Congress, by the way, not just one, who, who because maybe they promised big and glorious things, but never, never went further to check what they actually believed, are now beginning to suffer under those who are in, a, who are in positions of authority. The Scripture tells us that when the righteous, who do what God says are in authority, the people rejoice. There is peace, there is prosperity, but when the evil bear rule, those who do not re- accept those things, then the people mourn. It happens all across well, the world. Well, absolute power. This is what's happening here. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Majid? Yes, sir. How's your blood pressure? Uh, very high. Good. Um, <laughs> what, what did you want to add to what Sam has just said? What... Uh, what, what, what really you want to add in, in what Sam said, and, and I completely agree with Sam in, in the statements that he's making and his opinions, but once again, we are back to square one. Is the government that we choose, twice, if I may add, if this is what the government that was the best to present us and to present human rights and to protect the human rights and, and, and the morals of our principles as Americans or Canadians, this was the best government. And if it was not, why did we vote it for them twice with my the respect? So, well, the last three leaders, we've still been giving aid across the three leaders. It's not one specific leadership. That's correct. But, but isn't this because our people did not speak up 
enough to tell them that we are unhappy. Well, yes, so it's coming back to the people. It, it's coming back to the people. Sam, don't you yeah, agree? Absolutely. absolutely. No, I'm, no, I, the I, last I, three I, leaders. I, it's not I, one leader specific. No, I, I agree with you totally. It's not one, and that's why that's why it's not it's not a party. It's an ideology. It's a it's a it's a view of the role of government. It's a it's a view of these things. Moral truth. Does it exist? Does it not exist? What is government there for? Uphold moral truth, or to do the bidding of those special interests that happen to put people where they are? These are the fundamental things that determine where we are, and that is not the that's not strictly of one party. So yes, it has been happening over a period of time. But yes, back to your answer about, the, about your point about the people, we are, and yes. that's why I'm, and that's why the title of my show are, are Christians the weakest defenders of their faith because but, right but, now. But, 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 but sorry, yes. guys, I will disagree with you about something. You're talking about this been happening to three prisoners or three leaders mm-hmm. that have been doing that. With my old respect, not everyone. Listen, I agree in continuing giving aid in a sense of you don't want to burn your bridges between you or any other country. Um, I don't believe in giving aid to an attacker. No, just, 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 just hold, on, hold on a second. I believe that in giving aid or international aid, as the carrot or, or and the stick. What I'm really saying is to make it connected. If you stop giving aid altogether, if you stop giving international trade altogether, you you burn the bridges. There is there is a wall. There is no give and take. But if you keep the aid and the international, but you told them, hey, listen, I will do this if you improve your human rights. If you stop killing people, if you stop torturing them, I will increase this. I will increase that. And if you didn't, I will decrease it to the limit that maybe I will stop it. Trust me, this will be ineffective. And there are some presidents that they did that. And there are some presidents recently that they give everything without accountability. Here is the key word to any government or any president, accountability. Where is the accountability? When you give the aid, which, by the way, it's our tax money. When you give our money to this government, where is the accountability? Is our embassies on the ground make sure that this is being used to build hospitals, to be built to use to, to build the schools, or just being used to support the, the the extremists? This is the question. The accountability. Well, that's what I'm finding difficult. Um, it's not really chicken and egg situation, but the fact is the very fact that this persecution is happening. We all know about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and Pakistan, regardless, over the last three presidents, uh, this persecution has continued. Um, burning bridges? I'd rather burn the bridge than burn my brother and sister. Because obviously, um, giving any form of aid is, is, is pointless. And it's a slap in our face, and that is why... Uh, sometime, that is why maybe the Christians are perceived as weak. And I use the word perceived. I'm not saying they are. They're perceived as weak because uh, the enemy knows that, you know what, um, we'll carry on doing what we'll do, but we'll still get money either way. Sam? Well, I, I, yes. And, and again, you're back, you're back to the concept here of, again, justice, accountability fits into that. It does. Um, moral truth. Uh, we can you you cannot you cannot enact sound foreign policy policy of any type that does not come from a defined set of moral truth 
And when we are operating today in a what I would term a postmodern society, where we, we, we have rejected collectively as a society the concept of absolute truth, and therefore it's rigid and so forth, when, when that happens, what you have is a system of policy that really goes to the highest bidder, which is injustice, which is part of the problem. And how do you correct it? Back to, your, back to the whole point. How do you correct it? As long as we have the ability to vote in this nation, mm-hmm. the people in this country do have an ability to change both, both through elections and through their voice in the public square, even though the media generally has tended to squash and distort much of what comes out, the alternative media, this program and others, has an ability to reach out and inform people of what actually can be done. We actually get what we deserve. I hate to say that, but I mean, the whole concept, I mean, you know, does a nation become what their leaders are, or does a nation end up getting leaders that reflect who they are. I think that leaders come more as a reflection of the people. If the people want what we are getting, then we're going to continue to get what we have. And when they say, no, that is not, we do not want any longer, then at that point, and that's why I think uh, Majet maybe possibly was right, maybe the persecution has to come. Maybe it has to be a little bit harder in order for people to wake up, but certainly the people have a voice in this country. 80% 80% of the people, as you said, claim to be Christians. Whether or not they all are or not, I don't know. But they certainly are by a sufficient numbers to make a difference, both in an election and in the public square, if, in fact, they felt the compulsion and the need. And we tell pastors in the pulpit, you can stand up and tell your congregations, this is what the Word of God says. This is what it means to be salt and light. This issue you heard in the radio today, here is an example of evil. Right. Here is an example of righteousness. When that is taught, then people will stand up. Sam, Majid, we're com- coming to the end of the show. Uh, Majid, how can our listeners reach out to you? Uh, they can go to the website, www.onefreeworldinternational.org, and they will find all our information, and we'll be happy to hear from them. Sam? And they, I would send people to the AmericanPastorsNetwork.net, AmericanPastorsNetwork.net, to our website, and you, can, and you can communicate with us through that site. Gentlemen, thank you both for coming on the show. Our pleasure. Thank you. Thank you much. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. I'd love to get your comments on my conversation with both these distinguished gentlemen. Your comments and your follow are so very welcome on my Twitter account at Vip Jaswal and my Facebook page, The Vip Jaswal Report. A special shout-out of thanks to my dream team, William Sanchez and Rick Buser. I'll be back next Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern with more fascinating stories that fill our lives with the inspiration and information we so need to kickstart the week. I wish you a wonderful evening tonight with your family and loved ones, and until next Sunday, have a productive and a happy week ahead.